Evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. This is a special episode that I have today. I am sharing the first two chapters of my forthcoming fiction novel, The Garden of Sleeping Hammers. This will be coming out late spring 2021, and I'm now sharing with you a little preview, and I am enormously excited to be sharing this book. And, you know, I don't normally share fiction writing with you all, um, but that is my background. That is where I come from. I come from a poetic and creative writing background. And then I got so into astrology that that became my main subject to write about. And it's um it's been a long time that I've been sitting on this book, so I'm really excited to be at a place of readiness to share it. And I just want to say that this probably isn't a good episode to listen to with kids around, so don't do that. <laughs> and um, I'll just get into it. I I have one extra bit of um, me talking before sharing, like it's kind of picturing myself, you know, at an open mic or something and that like nervous writer energy of like, not just going up and reading the thing, but talking a little bit about it. And I mean, that's the vibe I'm, I'm in that. Cause I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm nervous <laughs> to share this you guys. Um, so uh, the performer in me knows how to not appear nervous and to just kind of like click into um, performance mode, but I didn't really want to do that here. I wanted to be more transparent. So you'll have a little bit of a do before me reading it. And I hope that you enjoy. I just listened back to it um, to, you know, edit out when I, you know, redid a sentence over again or something like that. And I was like, kind of, I was enchanted by myself (laughs) and it's so silly and weird to admit that, but I just like fall in love with this book more and more. And alternately, you know, you get to a place with your art where it becomes solipsistic if you only have it, you know, and keep it to yourself. So there's that kind of sense of this is brilliant or this is terrible and it's brilliant and it's terrible. And, you know, you just have to let it out into the world. And, um, I, I feel really, you know, constantly so supported by you, um, my listeners and my readers, and I'm just really excited to share this with you. I hardly know how to preface this. Before starting to write astrology content and writing weekly forecasts, I wrote a novel And when I was done with it, when I actually like wrote the last sentence of the last paragraph, this room has such an echo, my God. So when I wrote the last sentence of the last paragraph, I 
got out a piece of paper and I wrote down a list of like what to do with my life next. And this was at the point in my life where I was seeing blue lights, the ones that I've told you about. And if you don't know about the blue lights, I see these little sparks of light that look like stars that help guide me and help guide my writing and my transmissions. When I first started seeing them, I really, you know, it was more of like a rare occurrence or I would see one a day. At this point, I see hundreds or thousands of them a day and generally kind of trust my transmission and go to the light sometimes to work out conflicts within myself, you know, to weigh different ideas and see which ones are lit. But I sat down and was like, what to do with my life next? And I wrote, write horoscopes. And I saw this big blue light that like, boom, showed up on the page. And that's what I did next. Um, I, I wrote this novel from a place of it being my end all be all. It was my complete focus. It was my love. And it's actually, it's such a, a tender thing for me to share it now, um, to be at this place where I am publishing it and letting it out into the world after it's been pretty much completed outside of some editing and having some professors look at it. It's been done since 2015. And that's kind of a long time ago (laughs) to have been sitting on um, some literature. But tomorrow, so I'm sitting to record this on a Sunday evening and Monday, March 29th, during the Kazemi, or during the Venus Kazemi, so the conjunction of Venus and Sun and Aries, I will be sharing releasing the artwork for the cover of this book that was done by our very own Alex Mon. And if you don't know this artist, Alex is incredible. So to go along with the the artwork release, I'm going to read the first two chapters to you. And look, I'm not making any promises about an audio version of the whole book, okay? (laughs) So uh, if you like what you are about to hear, I hope that you will buy and read the book when it comes out late spring of 2021. And I think it's time I will start reading it. This book is called The Garden of Sleeping Hammers, Chapter Zero. In my 21st year of life, I crossed paths with a shaman who had also been an international mercenary and spy. The year was 2012, and he was back from his third tour to the Middle East. He was in just enough pain, physical and otherwise, that he was in an irrevocably altered state of consciousness. When we began spending time together, he offered to teach me anything I wanted to know. I accepted his offer wholeheartedly. I had met him in a dream the morning of the night that I met him in the waking life. Even before the dream, I was expecting him, specifically a massive opportunity, because of a prediction I had come upon in my astrological research. What I hope you will come to understand about me is that I took on this adventure willfully, naivete or not. 
I noted and then intentionally ignored each and every red flag. All the red flags seemed to be mirages overlaying a more vibrant treasure. My spy friend, who goes by Finn, does not always represent her code as a safe individual. It was clear he had killed a lot of people, and not just with guns or ordinary weapons, but had actually developed an art form around murder. But it was also clear to me that he was healing himself and of what exactly I would not find out until getting to know him much better. I decided to understand him, and my willingness to do this opened him up. As soon as I realized that it was not the obvious choice to spend every day with this man, yet that was my desire and that he was a wedge between me and my other relationships, my college education, my family. I said fuck everything else and became very determined to champion him, my unusual relationship with him, and the shamanic information I came to discover as a result. Directly after our explosive first month in each other's lives, the adventure contracted just as violently as it had expanded, and I was required to spend a sentence in karma prison, Karma prison is when the universe throws you into a circumstance in which you have no way out but through, and while you may understand what your mistake was and what you would do differently the next time, there is a fallout to account for. I had received more access to the spiritual realms than I knew how to integrate into my consciousness and daily life, and due to the information I had freely offered away, my family thought I was psychotic. This was at the same time strangers that I was meeting for the first time were telling me I was going to be famous and were asking for my autograph and telling me they were going to sell it on eBay when I got big. Those who had known me before were alarmed and concerned, and those who had no context to put me into were enchanted and inspired. I was in college, and my parents were financially supporting me, and they withdrew all financial support except if I were to move back home see a psychiatrist, and do whatever the psychiatrist said I should do, such as imbibe multiple psychotropic drugs meant to cure me of a disease I don't believe really exists. My relationship with the spy was in some ways socially inappropriate. I found myself eagerly treading in places most people know as no man's land. I felt as though I'd found a glitch at the edge of a video game, surpassed the invisible force field and had not just crossed it, but made a show of it. For one month, I asked, why not lift the veil of all illusions for everyone right now? And truthfully, I did not understand until much later why this attitude inspired so much fear in those around me and what the more compassionate alternative would have been. The following events are all true, but it doesn't matter if you believe me or not. My need to be believed was single-handedly what got me in trouble. So I offer you a tall tale. You can at least enjoy the fanciful story. What you make of it is yours. One final warning. This is a story of the meeting of shadows. Even shadows have their romances. Some performances reach their most dramatic heights just before the show is over. Katarina, summer of 2014. Chapter 1. On the morning of May 1st, 2012, I dreamt of Jupiter. I was sitting cross-legged in the clouds and playing with the cloud shapes by moving my hand. Time didn't exist, though the environment around me pulsed and breathed like jellyfishes underwater. 
There were voices and something important being discussed, but it all seemed so safe at the same time, giving me the feeling of being a child held by the voices of elders. From the tone of their voices, I only knew that I was about to be bestowed an advancement in life, yet the voices must discuss it first, and they knew they could talk about it around me without me really understanding what they were saying. When I awoke, it was after walking through a curtain of clouds I had spread open. There was not a moment of transition. I simply woke up to the sight of my bedroom window with one word on my tongue, Jupiter. My bedroom window displayed only the tall sky, and nothing obstructed the view. My room was flooded with light that turned my beige walls into a shade of gold. The architecture of the room is simple and open, a large rectangle with high ceilings. I didn't own very many things besides my clothes and some stacks of books underneath the window. There was a private bathroom and plush carpet that was deep enough to feel between the toes. My bed was on the floor no higher than three inches tall, and covered in a thick layer of deep black velvet. Some research I had gathered about Jupiter transiting square at a 90-degree angle to my natal Mars led me to believe that although I would be filled with extra energy, I would have to take precaution not to overestimate my abilities and take on more than I could handle. You have the capacity to make a disastrous error in judgment, some text on my computer had obliquely warned me. I certainly did feel an abundance of energy. I had read another interpretation that impressed itself on me. The tendency upon hearing that a great opportunity awaits you is to sit back and do nothing, expecting the opportunity to come to you. Don't do this. Do not wait. Go out and do things, have adventures, and increase the avenues through which Jupiter may find you. This is not a time to be wasted. Jupiter transits, even hard ones, are manna and nectar of the gods. Enjoy. The first day of May is my friend Beatrice's birthday. In the morning, I went downstairs to find her a present at an antique store. I found a pair of black lace-up boots I thought she would like, and I called her while I stood with them in a corner of the store. Hello? She answered wearily. Her Midwest accent and her tiredness make her sound like an old lady. She is already the type of woman you could imagine as an old lady. She is glamorous and has the most engaging stories of romances from afar, and I can imagine her retelling these tales over the years. She also collects weird things and takes her time moving around the house on cold mornings. Happy birthday, I said. Thanks. What are you up to? Hunter and I went out to lunch and then we got stoned, she sighed. We're going to take a nap now. We're all getting drinks at the Skep tonight. I'll call you around two. We can do something around then. Two came and passed, with no word from Beatrice. My call to her went to voicemail. A steady reserve of excitement I had cultivated all day, beginning with the dream of Jupiter, seemed to be stunted. I was aware of being very upset and uncomfortable for no proportionate reason, and my bedroom was beginning to feel like a box. I thought to my medicine cabinet, the silver light of the exterior mirror sharp in my periphery. There was a bottle of yellow pills. I couldn't remember if I had taken one that morning, but I also didn't want to double the dose by taking another. 
I went to go look at them to see if I could jog my memory. The sight of the chalky yellow pills startled me as they hugged the bottom of the bottle. The thing to watch out for, they say, is believing you don't need the pills after you become happy. Many patients do this and then become unhappy again. Save yourself the trouble and just take the medication. The yellow pills looked foreign and strange to me. Nearly repulsive. I had begun to see my recent depressions as a myth, just moments of confusion and misplaced desire. I could agree that the pills had maybe kick-started my process, but now they just looked terribly alien. I couldn't swallow one anymore without wondering what was inside of it. I decided to pack a bowl instead, and I smoked and entered another realm. From this tower, I could observe my not-too-far-off past self, pacing her room and contemplating the merits of psychiatry. Here, my anxiety did not settle, but I was brought to an overwhelming intuition that I must look up Moon Opposition Pluto. This time when I made a search, I found an article about Moon Opposition Pluto I hadn't seen before. This one said the usual things, intense, psychic, etc. But then it said, A Moon Pluto person is able to skillfully extract information from others, like a spy. Such a person should take care to not always play the spy, but to engage earnestly with others. My computer became excessively bright to look at. I turned it off and shut down the screen and felt as though I would burst if I stayed indoors any longer. I stopped at a nature reserve with hawks flying overhead and felt my mood lift immediately when I stepped out of the car. I smoked a little more and set out. I noticed six or seven older people. It was an enchanting image to see so much white hair bobbing through the trails. I felt so different in comparison to these people. I had an urgency in my heart and had begun to feel separate from several of my friends who were moving at slower paces. My mind had been quickening, and as though I were penetrating some new place in the world, I felt alone. My friends were always texting me and asking me what I was up to, just as I had become unavailable. I started seeing them as if behind me and through a veil in a mist. They were free to join me, but they didn't seem to want to. I shared invites, but was left to my own devices. One friend told me she could feel me pulling at her whenever we were supposed to meet up. Azure is a sensitive and artistic soul with a hypnotic voice and a highly developed sensuality. Her world is a carefully, if not sometimes elliptically, tended garden. It is not unlike her to become consumed by a glass of water or a postage stamp from Italy. You need to learn patience, she had told me. Lately, I kept missing her too. Our windows of time slipped past one another. Now, without a roof over my head, I started seeing the world as though all of my friends and I were on orbital tracks. Where we had once shared a track, now our tracks had diverted and were growing farther apart. In my becoming quicker, it was as though a clock above my head had been put in fast forward. The paths I walked through between the pines were like valleys of time. And here I could see the orbits of the people in my life, like grooves in the soil. My friends were walking through life in their respective tracks at their own speeds, and it was just these speeds alone that dictated whether or not our paths coincided. So suddenly there was nothing personal about what was happening. 
Throughout the trail were translucent clock faces with spinning cogs and moving parts that move forward and back, pulling ribbons of time forward and back, forward and back. I looked down at my feet, the twigs, the shrubbery. I thought of Brandon. He was a source of my anxiety. We had started dating, kind of, and it was a mistake. We had no passion, but a good friendship. I thought maybe something could be done about it. I thought it would be fun, perhaps change everything, if he could experience magic with me. I'll take Brandon out here, I thought. I want to show him magic. We'll play pretend and everything will mean something. I wish for magic, I said, speaking to the trees and the birds and whoever else might be listening. When I went back to my apartment, I had not yet climbed the stairs when I began writing a text to Brandon. I kicked my leg up on the railing to stretch. Perhaps I was kicking through the air on multiple planes. I felt a duty to bring him happiness, but is that really what I'm doing? I wondered. If my head and feet were in the clouds, to reach Brandon I was going through yet another film of atmosphere. His atmospheric layer was his bedroom, gauze wrapped, the bed holding him in a late morning womb. I could almost feel his eyes straining to open. He responded sleepily, but charmed, and asked what I was doing that night. I invited him to come out with me for Beatrice's birthday. I went over to Brandon's to pick him up. We laid on his bed and ended up talking about vacuums. I loved vacuum cleaners for some reason as a kid, he whispered. When my parents got rid of the family vacuum or whatever, I fought them. I wept. There's a picture of me straddling it. It's gone to vacuum heaven, I whispered back. Yeah? There's a whole bridge of them, extending from the ground of the sky to vacuum heaven. Do all vacuums go there? Who can say? But I'm certain yours did for its righteous service to your family. The kinds of vacuums that don't go to heaven are the ones that scare dogs just for fun. Are you sure my vacuum is up there? Yes, I nodded. We should go meet Beatrice now. I don't want to, he said, starting to undress me. I don't like the underwear I'm wearing, I said. I don't care, he laughed. He started to go down on me almost tentatively. Even though he initiated it, I wasn't confident that he liked doing it. I didn't feel a type of domination that I wanted, but it wasn't a clear knowing for me to fully acknowledge at the time. Just a vague frustration with the words, make me stay, hovering behind my lips. I was starting to get mad that I was giving into the delay from the party without enough persuasion from his body, like pressure in his touch. I'd begun to disassociate, wishing for a different kind of lover, a lover whose power I could get lost in and be consumed by. In this mix of anger and dissociation, I lost some of my own inhibition and embodied the aggression that I was feeling. To my surprise, I came hard, feeling silver echoes emanating out into the night around us. When Brandon and I arrived at the bar, there were no seats left at Beatrice's table. The table next to them was in a corner of the bar, where a bearded man wearing yellow sun goggles sat by himself with a pile of books. After we said hello to everyone, B 
Beatrice's boyfriend gestured Brandon and me over to the other table, saying he'd ask the man sitting there if he'd mind sharing. I sat down next to the bearded man, and Brandon sat in the seat across from us. I turned myself to the group. A girl I hadn't met before was on my right. After a little bit of small talk, she whispered to me, The man over there talks in different accents. I've seen him here before. What do you think that means? I asked her. I don't know. It's just weird. I thought for a moment and then turned to him. Hi, what's your name? Finn, he replied. Definitely an accent, but I wasn't sure what kind yet. I'm Katerina, I said. Pleasure. He was muscular and had dark blonde hair, and his beard was thick. He looked self-contained with an air of earthy exhaustion, like he'd been working outdoors all day. Besides the books, he also had a collection of trinkets splayed over the table and a backpack beside him leaning against the window. There was nothing about him that suggested he was looking to socialize. I like your glasses, I said, eager to get him talking. Oh, well, thank you. These change everything. Like color therapy, I said. I know someone who sells colored glasses for that reason. Though, um, I'm curious about your accent. Where are you from? Oh, I've been all over the world. It seems I move somewhere new every couple of years. I'm leaving here soon, too. Just doing some work for my brother, then leaving at the new moon. You travel by the moon? Where are you going? The next adventure, he smiled. I do everything by the moon when I can, but sometimes the mundane world wrangles you in and you have to follow its schedule instead. He dug his hand into a jar with a top not much larger than his hand to get a piece of blackened meat. Do you want some salmon? My brother hand-smoked it. That's okay, I said. I looked over at his books. But you know something about astrology, I asked, eyeing the word astrology and another title reading, The Magician's Companion. He looked at me in the eye and assumed a new seriousness. I'm Jupiter, he said. My research from earlier flashed to mind. A moon Pluto person is able to skillfully extract information from others like a spy. Such a person should take care to not only play the spy, but to engage earnestly with others. Only because those words came to my mind did I say, I dreamt of Jupiter this morning. Just so, he said, in what was beginning to sound like an Irish accent. I have two or three planets in Sagittarius, maybe four. I'm a triple Pisces, I said, an Aries sun, though. He smiled. Just so. So what do you all do, he asked, addressing Brandon as well. We're both in school, I said. I'm a writer, and Brandon is a brilliant stand-up comedian. Is that so? He smiled at Brandon. Brandon shifted his gaze. Here, Finn said, handing me a little leather-bound book. You should have this. It's a woman's diary. Really? Who is she? She lived around here once and was very interested in changing the world and helping the environment. But she was killed, he darkened. A man who came by often, her maintenance guy, was in love with her and she rejected him. I think he poisoned her vents. He is evil, a terrible human being. She was so full of life. That's why he wanted her. 
I have a whole box of her things and have been looking through them. Teared up a little today, actually. She was so poetic. There's photographs, too. Some nudes. Tasteful, though. Since you're a writer, you ought to have the box of everything if you'd like. I brightened. I would love that. But how did you get them? Her family didn't want them. Wow, I said. Well, I'll take them. I had a sudden feeling the journals would never materialize, but I let the thought go just as quickly. What are you all here for? He asked. It's Beatrice's birthday, I said. The other girl had changed seats, and now I was sitting next to Beatrice. She was wearing a red dress and deep red lipstick. She has a bright and solid presence, like encountering a wild animal who is standing still in a wet forest. I reached out to hold her hand. Beatrice is a lovely Taurus, I said. Finn's eyes widened. Beatrice has long, wavy chestnut hair and was wearing horn-rimmed glasses. She looked back at us calmly. A lovely Taurus, he repeated. A lovely Taurus should have this watch. He had effortlessly snatched a gold pocket watch from his collection of things and presented it to her. She eyed it with admiration and turned it over in her hand. It fit in her palm like she already owned it. She handed it to her boyfriend, who lightened with curiosity. Will you tell me more about traveling by the moon? I asked him. Well, the new moon is like it sounds, good for beginnings. The dark moon is at the end of the month and is about shedding. Here, he said, taking out his phone. You can get an app that shows you what cycle the moon is in, and this one even shows you the sign it's in. A moon appeared on the screen against a midnight backdrop. Symbols and words I didn't know the meanings of yet hovered on the screen like a control board. When he tapped on any of the features, the screen rearranged itself by individual parts flying off or onto the screen, accompanied by a fluttering bell sound. Did you know there are three dawns, he asked. No, I said. There's an app to track them, too. There's astronomical dawn, the first one, when light starts to hit the sky. The sun is 18 degrees below the horizon. Then nautical dawn is at 12 degrees, and civil dawn, what we recognize as dawn, is at 6 degrees. And if you're awake for it, every morning exactly halfway between nautical and civil dawn, I kid you not, the birds start singing like clockwork. I also have an app to check the tides. It's best to say nap when the tides are coming down. You'll tend to have more energy at high tide. I was surprised he had an iPhone. He seemed rugged and woodsy, and I imagined him not having much of a relationship with technology. But as I watched him manipulate the screen with his rough hand, an effortless flow of mechanics, numbers, and symbols emanated out from his fingertips. He showed me an app that maps out where the stars are in relation to where the phone is pointed. Blueprints of galaxies twinkled back in his yellow glasses and lit up his face in alternating pinks, blues, and purples. It didn't seem like long until the bar had closed. Finn paid for all of our drinks. Before leaving the bar, I asked him if I could have his number so I could get the journals. He wrote his name in nice script on a piece of paper along with his number, and I handed him my card that advertises myself as an astrologer. Of course, he smiled, looking it over. Katarina. We went back to Hunter's and Finn was invited. At Hunter's, we were all a little drunk and high. I remember watching the guys play on a balancing plank, a piece of wood resting over a half sphere. 
It was apparently harder than Hunter was making it look, because he had practiced. Finn gave it a try too and had great balance despite seeming the most out of it by then. The effect of the movement made them both look like genies, legs together waving this way and back. That was when I noticed that Finn had dried blood down the length of his shin. I asked what happened and he looked down, seemingly noticing the blood for the first time himself. That must have been from the woods today. I was climbing trees. You don't really notice the skin suit anymore. There was some mention then of training, that he took people out into the woods to teach them fighting and survival techniques. It's not for money, though, he explained. It's for magical pay. People pay as they see fit, or the universe does. What do you teach them? It's all about using the resources at hand. That's what I learned as a ranger. For example, he said, standing with his back against Hunter's couch, if I were having an altercation right now, I may keep the other person talking, let their face get all red. His eyes narrowed. He faced the door, which then took on an air of violent possibility. I take inventory of my environment, move my hand behind me just so, and find what may be of use. He swiped a jacket off the couch and held it up. I could throw this at their face and run away. Even just in those few seconds, it would disorient them, and I have time to either run away and avoid the fight altogether or to draw a weapon and disarm them. When I drove Brandon home that night, all I could do was talk about Finn, but out of respect, I was careful not to sound too excited. I don't know about him, Brandon said. I don't think he's that great. We rounded a roundabout up a hill, and then another roundabout, and this is a frozen moment to me. Roads like the gears of a grandfather clock. Thank you for listening, and if you're not already following me on Instagram, you can go find me at Sabrina Monarch and see the cover artwork for the book. And if you follow me on social media, if you get on my mailing list, if you keep listening to this podcast, these are all places to hear about the book's release and how you can get yourself a copy. So thank you for listening and um, sharing this celebratory moment with me. I hope that you enjoyed it and I will be back to more regular programming on this podcast as in, you know, interviews. Um, and solo episodes about astrology and spiritual lifestyle and a bunch of other topics um, for our eclectic conversations here about personal development and living a spiritual life. Mm-hmm.